Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit NFL.com slash schedule release to learn more. I'm late. I'm late. Three very important Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com how some carriers give you so little for your older busted phone you just end up living with it i don't think so verizon lets you trade in your broken phone for a shiny new one you break it we upgrade it you dunk it doggy bone it (laughs) slam it wham it strawberry jam it we upgrade it get a 5g phone on us with select plans every customer current new or business because everyone deserves better And with plans starting at just $35, better cost less than you think. November 23rd, 2021, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. The fate of the free white man who hunted down and murdered uh, Ahmaud Arbery is now in the hands of a Georgia jury. We'll talk with uh, one of the Arbery family attorneys, Lee Merritt, right here on the show. A Baltimore County, Maryland police officer gets sentenced to house arrest for the rape of a 22-year-old woman. Y'all won't believe the reason the judge gave for this light-ass sentence. Also, Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby goes off on Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, blasting him for his continued criticism against her, the prosecution of violent offenders. We'll show you what she had to say. 
in St. Louis mediation keeps a police officer out of jail for shooting a black shoplifting suspect in the back. And speaking of Missouri, after serving 43 years in prison for a crime he did not commit, a Missouri judge has exonerated Kevin Strickland, and tonight he is a free man. And the Republicans tried to keep him in jail in that state. A Virginia, a Virginia federal jury has ruled that white supremacists engaged in a conspiracy and were responsible for the attacks at the Unite the Right rally in 2017 in Charlottesville. Now they must pay millions, 25 million. Plus, the 40th annual Bayou Classic is this weekend. We'll talk with the presidents of Southern University and Grambling State University. Also, Meharry Medical College, they are gonna be giving 10,000 bucks to each student Mm, we'll tell you about it. Plus, I talked with DNC Chair Jamie Harrison about his job in trying to put the Democrats back in the victory column. In our Marketplace segment brought to you by Verizon, we'll talk with a former NASA rocket scientist who's making sure kids across the country learn how to code. And her products are now in major stores. Folks, it is time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Let's go. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Georgia, as we await the jury's decision in the trial of the three white men who were charged and on trial for the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery. Today, the prosecution had their rebuttal, and this is what took place in court. All right, so that brings us to self-defense. All right, I'm just going to go over this quickly. I want you to know what the basics are, the essentials. Okay, because self-defense really applies to the aggravated assault with the shotgun, okay, and the murder charges. So what have we got? One can use lethal force in self-defense, but only under certain circumstances. You can't claim self-defense if you are the unjustified initial aggressor, meaning if you started it. Who started this? It wasn't a mod artery. If you're committing a felony against that person, once again, we're back to our convenience store armed robber. He doesn't get to defend himself against the clerk he's robbing. He doesn't get to claim self-defense. He's committing a felony. In this case, they committed four different felonies, including the aggravated assault with the shotgun. They started it. They do not get to claim self-defense. And then, of course, provocation. You can't force someone to defend themselves against you so you get to claim self-defense. This isn't the Wild West. No. So there's three instances where the defendants don't get to claim self-defense. 
and they committed all of them. So once again, initially provokes the use of force against himself with the intent to use such force as an excuse. No wild west. This is the important one. Cannot commit aggravated assault with a shotgun, with trucks, false imprisonment, or criminal attempt at false imprisonment, any of those. Not justified in using force. If you're doing any of those things, they were doing all four of them. And you're not justified in using force if that person was the unjustified aggressor. You can't start it and claim self-defense. And they started this with their driveway decisions. So here's the main concepts. The defendants had to believe the deadly force was necessary. There were no other alternatives. Pointing a shotgun at somebody. There were a whole bunch of other alternatives for that. That belief must be reasonable. And once again, that's reasonable for everybody. That reasonableness applies to you. That reasonableness, there's no special exception for previous training in the Coast Guard or law enforcement. The reasonableness standard in Georgia applies to everyone equally. The danger to yourself has to be imminent, meaning I am about to get killed, not some guy I've been chasing for five minutes is running at me. Joining us right now is Lee Merritt. He is the one of the family attorneys for the Arbery family. Uh, now, Lee, uh, we, we saw how shameful yesterday was where you had uh, one of the attorneys uh, make such a heinous comment about the toenails of Mont Arbery that it led Abad Arbery's mother to flee the courtroom. She was so angry and upset. Uh, uh, give us a sense again uh, where we are, you know, in terms of how that family feels about what they have had to listen to uh, from the defense attorneys. We're used, as a, as a community of black folks, as civil rights attorneys, we're used to defense attorneys uh, villainizing the victim. Uh, it's, it's, it's become sort of par for the course from the American jurisprudence. But even with that in mind, what these attorneys have been doing during the course of this trial is unique. Wanda Cooper Jones herself, the grieving mother of Ahmaud Arbery, sat in the back of the classroom and was her uh, of the courtroom, and was herself the subject of at least half a dozen different motions about what she was wearing, about sounds that she might make during really emotional parts of the testimony, about people that she brought into the courtroom with her, and then yeah, yesterday during the closing arguments, they drove it all home with personal attacks against Ahmad, not even racist attacks or purely racist attacks, maybe certainly motivated by racism, but descriptions of his fingernails being dirty as if he was an animal or some sort of beast that they were describing. Uh, it's really been, even for me, and I see it, um, really bad behavior by the defense counsel. Uh, to, of course, uh, the prosecution had a chance to do their rebuttal. Uh, and they were quite methodical in, in, in destroying the self-defense argument, saying you can't start something and then yell, oh, self-defense. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, I think that to match uh, the defense's sort of wild defenses and, and throwing everything but the kitchen sink at it, uh, the prosecution was methodical, as you pointed out, and said, that what they're really claiming when it's said and done is citizens arrest in self-defense. The law doesn't allow them to get citizens arrest because they didn't see a crime taking place. 
or there was no crime in their immediate knowledge. And they don't get self-defense when they're the initial aggressors. You can't start a fight and then say the person who was defending themselves against you uh, caused you to uh, have to uh, defend, fear for your life and have to defend yourself. That's not how the law works. So what time did the jury uh, break today, uh, and, or have they broken, and when will they resume tomorrow? Uh, they around 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we have not received notice that they have broken for the day. Um, and so I, I assume they are still in deliberations. So they've, uh, so they've been deliberating now a little more than six hours. That's correct. Okay. Got it. Got it. Uh, well, it certainly has been a, a, a very difficult uh, time to listen for the family, listen to what, uh, you know, how uh, they have described Ahmaud Arbery somehow as he was this thug who grew up in an awful family and made these awful choices when the only people who really made the awful choices are the three white men who chose to hunt him down. Uh, that's Greg and Travis McMichael, as well as William Roddy Bryant. Yeah, Wanda is spending this time preparing her victim impact statement, which she she's getting um, a chance to do after these men are convicted. So we're we're accepting that in advance, and she's really looking forward to that. So a lot of the things that you just pointed out about the personal attacks on her son, the attacks on his upbringing, she's looking forward to responding to it um, in the victim impact statement. All right, then. Uh, Lee Barrett, we surely appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Folks, uh, this was the uh, Arbery uh, family uh, speaking outside of the courtroom uh, after today's uh, rebuttal closing arguments. I think Linda did a fantastic job. I think that she did. She presented that the, the evidence again very well. I do think that we will come back with a guilty verdict. And I want to leave you with this: um, God has brought us this far, and He's not going to fail us now. Amen. We will get justice for our mind. That's it. Okay. I'm just giving all glory to God for number one. What I seen in that courtroom this morning just really was devastating. But I'm just thanking God that God showed us everything, showed us all the evidence that convicted these men. And so I know God, like one of the saying, brought this person to us now. So I know we're going to get them. Amen. Get the burden on these men. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Let's go to my panel. Matt Manning, civil rights attorney, and Pastor Lee May, Transforming Faith Church former CEO of DeKalb County, Georgia. Glad to have you both. Uh, Matt, uh, you've seen a lot of things happen uh, in courtrooms. Uh, I mean, have, you, have you ever seen uh, what we witnessed uh, the last couple of days from these defense attorneys? No, I haven't. And I'm really surprised that they took that tack, considering the law is clearly not on their side. In Texas, as Mr. Merritt alluded to, we call it provoking the difficulty. And here, that's exactly what they did, especially with law enforcement background. You would know that the proper thing to do is call the police if you suspect someone of having committed a crime, not accost them and shoot them like an animal in the street. So I'm surprised the defense attorneys have taken the positions that they have because, you know, you would assume well-meaning people understanding the basic facts would be offended by it. So you're adding insult to injury by dehumanizing him with the language that they've used. I've seen a lot of crazy things and done a lot of crazy things, and I would never have gone remotely that far. Uh, Lee, obviously, this has gotten uh, tons of attention there uh, in Georgia. Uh, and so many people um, uh, are just remarking how th this is an absolute ploy 
to, to appeal to the whiteness of this nearly all white jury. Absolutely, man. You know, we helped to organize a, um, a prayer vigil of pastors. You were down there. I saw you down there. We had over 500 pastors down there just to pray. And even that simple act, the defense attorneys use that to try and get a mistrial. They're no longer concerned about the truth. They're no longer concerned about what is right. They're concerned about getting their clients off by any means necessary. And I'll tell you what, man, I I forced myself to listen to uh, the defense attorneys um, in their closing presentation, man, and it was tough, bro. It, it was tough because essentially they, this is what I got from it. This black boy should have stopped when this white man told him to stop. And because he didn't stop, he got to lose his life. And somehow, some way, that's called self-defense. You know, what is also troubling in this is that if they are successful in getting these client, his clients off, uh, these men that you're showing on the screen right now, if they're successful, we, black folk, people of color, non-white people in America, not just in Georgia, we better watch out because what you're saying between what has happened uh, with the Rittenhouse case and then, uh, you know, this goes unfortunately in that direction, uh, we got to watch out because vigilantism, and I'm talking about slave era, era kind of laws, will be common practice and people will be emboldened to be able to act and do whatever they want to in the name of the law. This law was so bad during our last legislative session, they changed aspects of this law. That's how bad it was and how it led to what we see uh, in this Ahmaud Arbery uh, murder trial. So it's just troubling, man. My heart is heavy. And my prayer as we pray together, these pastors uh, down in Brunswick, is that justice will prevail and uh, there will be some semblance of justice, even though we can never bring uh, Ahmad back, that their parents can rest at least knowing the system worked uh, on their behalf. Um, and I just got uh, a couple of text messages uh, Mark Thompson uh, says uh, they announced the jury they're staying tonight uh, to get this done. So uh, they may, and uh, so far the, the, the jury has not asked any questions. They have not even asked to see the video. Uh, and so, Matt, uh, when you hear that, sounds to me like this jury is uh, pretty clear as to the, direct, the direction they're going. Yeah, but I would say you can't necessarily draw any conclusions from that. Juries do things in their own time, and they may ask for the video later when they get deeper down into it, because one thing they're going to have to do is work through what's called the jury charge, which is where the court gives them the law. And with them having this many charges, there's going to be a lot to work through before they get to that point. Um, but, you know, the juries often ask questions and send notes out and ask for clarification. I would be surprised if they came back with a verdict today. There's so much to wade through. And uh, looking at the evidence, they should come back with a guilty. I just think it will take a little while because they'll want to make sure they're methodical going through all the charges and all the evidence that's presented to them. All right, then. Uh, gentlemen, hold tight one second. got to go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the Kevin Strickland case. Uh, 43 years in prison, today exonerated. And Republicans did all they could to keep that man in federal prison. Also, Baltimore State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby is blasting the governor of Virginia, excuse me, the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. Republicans saying he continues to uh, trash Baltimore and do nothing to actually help the city. We'll also hear
hear from the two presidents of Gramley and Southern University about this weekend's Bayou Classic, as well as Jamie Harrison, the chair of the Democratic National Committee, what he is working on to ensure that Democrats reach out to black voters and speak to their issues and concerns. All of that on today's episode of Roland Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? Hello, everyone. It's Kiara Sheard. Hey, I'm Taj. I'm Coco. And I'm Lily. And, and we're SWV. What's up, y'all? It's Ryan Destiny. And you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Folks, uh, Kevin Strickland, this brother has been saying for years, 43 years, he did not commit uh, a crime that landed him on death row there in Missouri. Republicans in that state kept fighting, 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 trying to keep him in prison. A prosecutor reviewed the evidence and said, something is amiss here. He did not commit this crime. Didn't matter. They kept fighting and fighting and fighting. He wasn't sure that one day he would get released. He wasn't sure that he would ever see freedom. Well, today, a judge granted that exoneration and said Kevin Strickland is indeed a free man. He called in and ordered him to be immediate, immediately released. Strickland was convicted in 1978 for the deaths of 21-year-old Larry Ingram, 20-year-old John Walker, and 22-year-old Sherry Black. Again, he said, never thought he would see the day that he would be free. No, I didn't think this day was going to come. I mean, not before I got this legal team, I didn't. But I was thinking in prison today, before this happened, I was actually watching a soap opera, and they <laughs> thing went across news break or whatever they call them, and and I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. So that's how you learned. That's how I learned. You saw your own name on the screen. The picture, yes. And then other inmates start hollering. What is more shameful? Kev Eric Schmidt, who is the Missouri Attorney General, a Republican, disagreed with that prosecutor and fought to keep Strickland in prison. The Republican governor of that state 
Mike Parson, did the exact same thing, making it clear that he wouldn't even consider making it a priority to pardon Kevin Strickland. This is the type of thing, Lee, that is grossly offensive, where you have a prosecutor who reviewed the evidence, who said didn't do it. The courts reviewed it and how, they, and how these Republicans are behaving. And Schmidt is actually running for the United States Senate in Missouri. know what this this show is today but it's it's heavy on my heart brother you know uh, my brother over there with the law books behind him he's a lawyer he's a student of the law he practices the law but man i'm a man of faith and i just believe in the humanity of all people man like you know when the law fails us you know sometimes we're just looking for people to stand up and say you know what right is right and and, and we're going to do what's right in, in where people are concerned. And unfortunately, it just seems too frequently, man, that that when issues of the law arise, we get the 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 opposite, the tail end of the law. We don't get the benefit of the doubt. We don't get people taking that extra step uh, to do what's right. And this man sat in a Missouri prison for over 40 years. And the man said he was at home watching TV and likely ended up in this place because of the lack of a adequate legal team or just a jury that didn't care or a prosecutor that knew that this man wasn't guilty but decided to uh, make sure that their record was straight. And he has had to forfeit 40-plus years of his life. And here's the other thing. He's going to get some money when he leaves, but it will pale in comparison to the, the, the freedom that he lost. Uh, over those years, man. Actually, um, he's not going to get any money because because of how Missouri Missouri is very strict when it comes to their compensation. Uh, Matt, that right there is even more shameful. It is, and I think Pastor May was 100% right. This is a case where it's just unequivocal. We should not only take care of this brother, but we should do everything possible to try to you know remunerate him for the loss of his life. The reason Missouri's law is so strict is because it only allows for compensation if you're exonerated via a DNA law, which is garbage, if you ask me, because it's obvious here that the prosecutor didn't believe the evidence substantiated the charge, and this brother lost 40 years of his life. It should be a no-brainer that he's compensated. Just to give you context, if he had been convicted in nearby Kansas or next-door Kansas, he would have gotten $65,000 a year uh, per year that he was incarcerated. So. It's insane that just next door they would have compensated him to the tune of almost $2 million. But Missouri doesn't deem that appropriate under these heinous circumstances. I mean, that right there just shows you how other, other ridiculous this is. And this is from the Washington Post story here. Go to my computer, please. Um, around 10 p.m., Strickland was watching television when he was stunned by a news bulletin about the triple murder. Strickland had stayed home that night and had been on the phone and playing games after eating dinner with family members. His alibi was verified by numerous relatives. And they still pinned it on him, Lee. That, that's what I mean, man. It's just, it's, 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 it's as if uh, he wasn't good enough uh, to have what other people would have experienced, freedom, because of an alibi. Uh, and, man, I'm just... I'm just saying, man, my heart is, 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 is heavy for this brother, but it's also happy and excited because he gets the remainder of his years free. My prayer is that people will 
will wrap their arms around him, support him financially, raising money for him to to help him live out the remainder of his years with his family and loved ones as well, man. But but in instances like this, like in Georgia with the Ahmaud Arbery case, when you look at this citizen's arrest, people came together, our legislators came together, even our Republican governor signed the legislation. It didn't go as far as it should have, but they made some changes. My prayer is in Missouri, uh, the elected leadership, which it doesn't look like they will even be interested in it, would make some changes to wrong rights, to right wrongs, like what um, Brother Strickland has experienced. Well, this is one of those examples right here, Matt, where I would hope black folks and others, if you want a reason in Missouri to vote, then you make yeah. sure Kevin Schmidt, Kevin Schmidt does not become the United States senator because of what he did here. And then you have that trifling governor who said he would not make it a priority for Kevin Strickland, but he quickly pardoned uh, the, the white couple who, pulled their, who, were, who were charged and pulled their guns out on the Black Lives Matter protesters in St. Louis. It's all about politics, too, and that's the worst part. These, these DAs and other people who are charged with making sure that justice is sought and justice is done, a lot of times don't want to do the just thing because they don't want to lose votes or they don't want to lose political capital. That's the only reason Schmidt and the governor are out against this. If the prosecutor themselves moves to have him exonerated because the evidence doesn't substantiate the charge, the fact that you're carrying the mantle for a conviction shows you have ulterior motives. And those are ulterior motives are keeping a black man behind bars and keeping the narrative that this scary black man must have committed this crime that everyone else knows he didn't commit. It's pretty simple. Um, indeed, uh, indeed it is. Uh, all right, folks, hold on one second. I gotta go to a break. We come back. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, what's happening in Baltimore. How in the hell does a cop rape a woman? And then the judge goes, well, there was no psychological damage here. He doesn't need to go to prison. The latest case of an outrageous judge making a decision when it comes to rape. That's next on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Sun Network. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger. That's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you. All of you. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really. Who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. I'm feeling she myself. ordered herself a ladder with Prime One Day Delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. I'm about to give you something yeah. that's going to put you in that. You're going to remember this. Yeah, it was on tour. So Brian wanted to be the headliner. 
Now, you're headlining with New Edition. So we're like, okay, you want to be a headliner? Not a problem. As I said, since you so, think you big, you that big and bad? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget one night, we, uh, two of the guys, the driver got lost. I think it was Westbury we were playing. And I'll never forget, um, we asked, they asked him if he didn't mind going on first and uh, we, we would close out. And he, they came back and said, he said, no. I give him his prop. He took it like a man. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough out there. By the time he would come out, you could hear echoes. <laughs> wow. Hey, I'm Amber Stevens West. Yo, what up, y'all? This is Jay Ellis, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Remember the story out of New York where a judge uh, pretty much let this white guy off, rich white kid, who raped four girls, said, mm, he really shouldn't go to prison. Now a Maryland judge has sentenced a police officer convicted of rape to four years in prison, but ruled he can stay on home detention while he appeals his cases. Former officer Anthony Westerman was sentenced on Friday. In August, he was convicted of second-degree rape con concerning a 2017 incident and second-degree assault for a 2019 incident. Maryland State's attorney uh, says Westerman is unlikely to go to prison because his time on a house arrest will count toward his time served, and the appeals process will be lengthy. The judge literally said that, well, there was no psychological damage here, so no need. Matt, if people want to understand why we can't skip over those judicial races when voting, these two cases tell us why. This is a white cop who raped two people is the answer to why we're even discussing this. The thing that's really important to know is both of these cases were tried to the judge without a jury. And the judge actually went on record saying that this was, quote, the most traumatic incident in this poor victim's life. So how he could conclude there was no psychological injury is beyond me and is indefensible. And most of the time, judges do not allow anyone to have an appeal bond when they're accused of a violent crime or a sexual crime, at least in my experience. So to not only give him four years of home confinement, but to do so while he's appealing the case, to me is only because he's an officer and frankly, because he's got the right complexion uh, for that judge's decision, not because it makes any sense. You know, this is the problem I'm always talking about, Lee, how this system gives cops so much benefit of the doubt and how they are treated totally different than everyone else. Yeah, man, it's, 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 it's a big challenge. And that's why, you know, you're talking about uh, paying attention to all of the races and, and making sure that people uh, are not getting in these offices that don't share our values and all of that. Man, look, this is the reason why we got to have the George Floyd uh, Justice and Policing Act passed, right? Because uh, it, it deals with certain aspects like that, aspects like, you know, making sure that cops who do wrong, bad cops, uh, can actually pay the penalty beyond this superficial uh, uh, legal covering uh, that they have or whatever. And, and we got to make sure. Look, it's, 
you know, I was a local elected official. I was the CEO of DeKalb County. Our police department at its peak was like a thousand police officers. And we had some tough, tough challenges. Good officers through there, but like in anything, there's some bad apples as well. And when they're bad apples, you got to get rid of them. But the challenge is, legally, it makes it difficult to get rid of the bad apples. And issues like this, whatever, you got this guy and you got a judge and a, 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 a law enforcement officer that both should be out of a job. Well, one definitely is out of a job, but he's not going to really pay the full penalty for it, man. It does seem like, you know, it, it, as a black man, I look at all of these these stories, man, and I'm like, yeah, it, it, we, we, can't, we can't catch a break when we should catch a break, and then we pay an over penalty when we should be given a break or we should be rendered, you know, innocent in all this. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just uh, crazy uh, when we see these cases. Now, how about this here? I remember the story about the white cops who beat up a fellow brother in blue who was undercover. Well, here's an update on one of the cops involved. Former St. Louis officer uh, Dustin Boone received a light sentence for beating and permanently injuring a black undercover cop in 2017 at a racial justice protest. He will only serve one year and one day. That is way less than what the victim, Luther Hall, and prosecutors suggested. Boone's lawyers say he did not participate in the initial beatings. Now, according to court documents, Boone has a history of abusing suspects. Hall received a $5 million settlement from the police department as a result of this beating. Matt, this is, I mean, here, here again, people want to see black cop, white cop. The, when it comes to the cop, operative words there are black and white. That's exactly right. And, you know, frankly, I don't understand how this is in a scenario where the officer gets heavier punishment. What's never made sense to me is if we imbue officers with all the ability to go out and enforce the law, then when they commit acts that are violative of the law, it stands to reason they should be held to an even higher standard. So to get a year in jail for brutally beating uh, an undercover cop at a protest is just absurd. It's, in, it's inexcusable. And there's no way to defend it beyond exactly what you said, Roland, white cop, black cop, black cop being the victim. Uh, outside of that, it doesn't make any sense. And it's not anything you can, you know, really defend in any way. I have always maintained, uh, Lee, uh, that there should be a higher standard for cops. And again, but this system, what it does, it, 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 it always um, uh, treats them with kid gloves and, no, 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 we don't want to hurt their feelings when we see the sort of uh, heinous actions they are involved in. Yeah, man, and, you know... Uh, other law enforcement officers ought to stand with you in that sentiment because the bad apples give the good apples a bad name, right? We lump them so often they get lumped in the same bunch. And so, you know, I would just encourage law enforcement officers, particularly those who look the same way that all three of us do, would stand up and say, look, it's time to go hard. Throw the book at these folk who abuse the law, who are charged with enforcing the law and protecting um, people when they abuse the law, when they break the law. Like, yeah, we, we, we need to look at these laws and statutes around the country and, 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 and make the penalty even higher uh, to, to prove a point. I'll say this, you know, as elected officials, when, um, uh, when various prosecutors go after elected officials that, you know, 
that may have done what they've been accused of, you know, they like to throw the book at them, right? Because they want to they want to set an example, especially for black elected officials. They want to set an example that others can see and will not do the same thing. Uh, I think they should do the same thing for cops. Well, check this out. Uh, in Missouri, charges have been dropped against a former Missouri cop who shot a black woman in the back for allegedly stealing from a grocery store. Julia Cruz says she meant to use her taser when she shot Ashley Fountain Hall in 2019 after grocery store workers called the police about the alleged theft. After restorative justice mediation session and a $2 million payout, from the city of Ladue to the victim, the assault charges were dropped. Um, okay, I'm Matt. I, the sister gets shot in the back by the cop. Um, how do you factor in the two million dollar settlement in dropping the? Just what the hell? Two somebody in the back. Taxpayers, y'all pay the settlement. I apologize. We're done? It, it shouldn't be factored in at all. And this seems to me like a circumstance where the prosecutors may have done something different than what the victim may have wanted. I know it was a restorative justice mediation, but what I mean is that the prosecutors could have elected not to go that route. What I do think is interesting about this case, though, is the prosecutor, Wesley Bell, is a brother and is one of the well-known progressive names around the country. And his, his case was actually mediated by Carl Racine's office, which is out of D.C. So I'm assuming in this case they really thought the evidence was compelling, but on its face it is problematic. And I don't see how you allow this to happen because she claimed that she uh, wrongfully reached for her gun rather than for her taser. But, you know, she did serious injury to this woman, obviously, because the city thought it appropriate to pay her $2 million. So I'm not sure why they didn't go forward with the charges. I'm not sure this is the appropriate case for mediation. According to this KMOV story, uh, Lee, it says that uh, the dismissal stems from Hall's request following restorative justice mediation, a process where the victim and the offender participates together to resolve matters. The facilitator said bail made it possible for the women to find a resolution. Okay, I'm just trying to understand. Okay. What is the resolution? I, I'm just I don't understand. If if you shot somebody in the back, the civil resolution is completely different than, frankly, your actions. So, you know, y'all gonna make me go to law school, man, because because <laughs> I'm interested as well. Because on the face of it, it does look like you know the answer is the two million dollars, right? It looks like. $2 million is not hush money because it's public, but that $2 million payout made everything go away. And, you know, legally, uh, my brother could talk about that even more, but it just doesn't seem right. It, it seems, again, right, like a white officer is getting the benefit of the doubt for an action that could very well have been a mistake. Let's be clear. I don't fully know enough about it, and it's hard to get in the mind of people and 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 uh, in terms of what they were thinking when it all transpired, but it just again seems right. that this person is getting the benefit of the doubt. Indeed. All right, folks. Lots more to talk about today on Roland Martin Unfiltered. We're here from uh, Baltimore County uh, State's Attorney Marilyn Mosby. She goes off on the governor Larry Hogan uh, for for him constantly 
uh, blasting her when it comes to crime uh, in the city. Also, uh, we will hear from Jamie Harrison, who is the chair of the Democratic National Committee, about his plans to get the Democrats back on the winning track. Up next, though, we'll talk with the president of Grambling State and Southern University in our HBCU Connect segment about this weekend's Bayou Classic returns to New Orleans. They are happy uh, for that. Also, Meharry, they hand out 10,000 bucks to each Meharry student. We'll give you those details as well. You're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Don't forget, download the app on all available platforms. Uh, of course, Android phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, uh, Amazon Fire Stick, Xbox, uh, as well as Samsung Smart TV. And of course, support our support us by joining our Bring the Funk fan club, where every dollar you give goes to support this show. Cash App dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com. Back in a moment. <laughs> Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only have
try it first. Y'all know who Roland Martin is. He got the ascot on, he do the news. It's fancy news. Keep it rolling, right here. Rolling. Roland Martin. <laughs> right now. You are watching Roland Martin, unfiltered. I mean, could it be any other way? Really, it's Roland Martin. Folks, we will be in New Orleans this weekend for the 48th annual Bayou Classic, partnered with Coca-Cola, streaming various events uh, on Friday and Saturday, including the coaches' luncheon. Uh, then, of course, they have a small business event happening the, at, at the Hyde Regency. Then, of course, you have uh, uh, what's happening on Saturday. we broadcasting live from the fan zone outside of the Superdome. And we will be live streaming the halftime show. I know a lot of y'all, I know a lot of y'all complain uh, about not being able to see the halftime show because the networks don't show it. Don't worry, we got y'all covered on the Black Star Network. Uh, and it's going to again, a 48th annual Bayou Classic. Returning to New Orleans, didn't take place last year because of COVID, uh, but Grambling State University, Southern University, they are back on the field. Trust me, New Orleans is happy about them uh, coming to the newly renovated uh, Caesar Superdome on Saturday uh, because, again, uh, when those two schools meet, uh, it represents a huge, huge uh, economic boon to the city. And so you got the Battle of the Bands, you got all the fans, as well as Battle of Interim Head Coaches. Joining us right now, presidents of both schools, Dr. Rick Gallup from Gallup, Grandma State University. Uh, I tolerated here, Kappa. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, and Dr. Ray Belton from Southern University. Uh, glad to have both of you here. Uh, all right, so uh, how are your alumni and your fans feeling about uh, the game actually being back after uh, not having it in 2020. I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Belton. Well, first of all, uh, Roland, uh, greetings from Southern University and a and College. I, I had the, uh, uh, a moment ago, I saw your intro, uh, and it is uh, very reflective of the Bayou Classic. Everyone is simply excited about uh, the Bayou Classic coming back home in, in, in New Orleans. And it's nothing like the Bayou Classic uh, in, in New Orleans. And so, look, we are, our alums are, are, are just waiting for the moment. You know, the festivities have already started, quite frankly. And, and we're looking forward, you know, to uh, getting down there uh, in the next couple of days and, and really reflecting uh, on HBCUs generally uh, and the uh, HBCU experience. Uh, Rick, are you already there uh, There in New Orleans? I was there yesterday, Roland, and uh, I'm actually on my way back home. I had some meetings in Baton Rouge today, so I'm coming to you live from the backseat of my Ford Expedition. So my, <laughs> my apologies for the, uh, for the poor... Uh, it's uh, all good. It's uh, all good. Yeah, yeah. so no, we're, we're uh, uh, headed back uh, to North Louisiana. We'll get the family, and we'll, we'll go back down to New Orleans on uh, Thanksgiving Day. We'll, we'll squeeze in the uh, Saints game, and then of course uh, Friday morning we'll we'll kick off. I certainly want to thank my uh, my friend, my frat brother, my colleague uh, Dr. Belton for uh, just you know being such an amazing leader of, of Southern University and uh, being such a great partner over these last uh, five years uh, in all things uh, Bayou Classic and all things HBCU. So I certainly tip my hat to uh, to my friend for uh, for showing us the way and 
again, for just being an amazing leader among leaders. Must have had enough foresight to have two cappers on, so I'm certainly glad uh, I <laughs> wore right. the appropriate attire uh, on today's show. Uh, I'm sure glad that happened. Um, uh, now, now, explain to folks, really, uh, who don't understand this game, because uh, the game is actually, you know, controlled by both universities. Typically, when you have these games, there's, there's sort of an external group that invites uh, the schools in. Uh, but, but this game is really, uh, the, the, all, everything around it is, is controlled uh, by both institutions. Well, I don't know that we have time to go through all the intricacies of it, but uh, certainly our, our respective foundations play a role in uh, the, the promotions of the game, as well as uh, NOCCI, uh, which is the event manager for, uh, for the event. So uh, it is a, a, a series of partnerships, but ultimately, uh, you know, leading back to the two schools. And again, this is the 48th. Uh, installment of the of the Bayou Classic, and we're just really excited uh, that we've been able to continue this tradition, even with the little blip on the radar with the COVID uh, uh, you know season. We we certainly are excited to get back to New Orleans, as as Dr. Belton uh, previously said. Doc, yeah, I mean it, it really is Southern University and Groundlands Foundation. Uh, we uh, ultimately established a contract. Uh, for a management group to help facilitate it. Uh, but uh, we have ultimate uh, responsibility and authority uh, to uh, manage those type of relationships. And, and over the last few years, it has really worked wonderfully for, for both institutions uh, in terms of the resources that we ultimately benefit from uh, as a result of the uh, gain. You know, uh, both Rick and I, uh, we are often asked uh, about you know who's going to win the game, and and and, and I think both of us both of us would say we are already have won uh, in light of uh, the financial rewards that both institutions receive. You know, as a result uh, of uh, engaging in uh, this fest this week of festivities. Uh, now um, it's more than just the game; it's more than just Step Show and Battle of the Bands. Uh, so there are a plethora of events that actually take place. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, it includes, you know, career fairs, uh, business expos, parades, uh, Greek shows. You know, we really have the opportunity to uh, highlight, you know, our students uh, by way of their pageantry and their competitions. Um, again, a parade uh, in the uh, city of, of, of uh, uh, New Orleans. We have... Uh, the occasion to network with legislators in light of the fact that they provide a symposium, you know, during the week, particularly uh, the Black Caucus uh, of the state of Louisiana. Uh, and of course, you know, just, you know, the opportunity to embrace our alums across the country who uh, make this a, a pyramid, you know, uh, every year uh, in, 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 and, and really, like I said, it really helps us to kind of define, you know, the, the uh, HBCU experience. And, and, and we're all family until Saturday. And then after that, we are family once again. <laughs> uh, understand. We're still family. We're still family, Doc. You know, we, we're still family, <laughs> no, no matter what. Because one thing about it, the, the more of our cousins who show up uh, to the family reunion, 
the, the, the more resources we have to, uh, to take back to our respective campuses. And, and that, you know, that's one of the things, uh, Roland, that I think sometimes uh, folks forget about. Uh, and that is the fact that, that we are there to uh, operate a, a business model that, again, is, is 48 years old. And at the uh, end of the festivities, we want to be able to bring resources back to Grambling State University and to Southern University. And so, you know, we, we always encourage our, our fans to uh, not look for the free tickets, uh, that, that they should should buy tickets to support right. uh, our students. Because at, at the end of the day, that is really what it is all about, is that we, we go through this each year so that we're able to, uh, to bring resources to, to benefit and support our students. So I, I appreciate you giving us this platform uh, to promote and talk about the, the Bayou Classic. But go to Ticketmaster and buy your tickets. Uh, don't don't call Dr. Belton or me asking for some free ones. Uh, go to Ticketmaster and buy your tickets and come support the students at Grambling. And That's right, right. Don't don't bug folks asking for the hookup uh, in in doing that. Uh, now now now, Dr. Belton, I got to tell you. Um, you know, look, I, I, I didn't go to neither school. I went to Texas A&M, so I have no dog in this hunt. I've actually spoken uh, to the to to the alumni. Uh, well, I did the alumni at Southern, and I spoke on campus. I spoke uh, on the campus of Grambling and did a commencement. But I got I got to tell you, Doc. Um, you know, Grambling Grambling got y'all beat because you know when. When, when Rick came on my TV One show, he presented me with a, with a uh, Grambling uh, honorary drum major jacket. When I went to the campus, they gave me a track suit I had it on yesterday, and I was trying to wear some Southern University gear. Hey, dog, I ain't got well, none. So I just want, so don't, I want all y'all Southern people, don't get mad at me. Well, look, Rick is an exceptional leader, and, uh, you know, his, uh, uh, and the degree to which he embraced you, Roland, uh, really speaks to that. But let me let me say this to you: when you when you get to New Orleans, we should have something for you. So I'm, I want to make sure that you are uh, you are representing uh, uh, Southern University uh, and Grambling, for that matter. Uh, but but certainly we will. Um, I will make a point uh, to have something for you uh, in a very tasteful manner. Uh, such that you could truly uh, have an appreciation of the Jaguar Nation uh, I, this weekend. I, I just, I just want to make sure I don't need, because matter of fact, one of your Southern people sent me a text message. I saw your Grambling stuff. I said, mm-mm, Grambling took care of their business. Don't be getting mad at me. I right. said, don't be getting mad at me, because I, I only wear HBCU gear on my show that I have, where I've spoken at. So I've had a few HBCUs hit me up. Why are you not wearing our stuff? I said, because y'all ain't never invited me. So right. that's that's so, how we do it. Right. Isn't that well, we did have, have the occasion like to host you for that alumni federation. Yeah. No, no, no. The alumni did. Well received. And I spoke on campus. Rick, go ahead. That's right. No, I was just going to say, isn't this just like a family reunion where you got the favorite uncle and, uh, you know, <laughs> there's always something that we can uh, we can spar about a little bit. Uh, and that that's what family is all about. Hey, yeah. that, that is what fam- and look, I'm thankful for Southern University and for Grambling State University and all HBCUs to have the platform and the opportunity to even uh, spar like this. So it, it's all it's all HBCU love. Man. And it's all good. Uh, and if y'all want to see 
uh, uh, graduation turned out. Just go on YouTube and see when I spoke at Grambling. I'm just wow. saying. And it, ever since I did that, other folk <laughs> been following behind the brother. So I'm just saying that that's how I we did you. it. So I got you. We're looking forward to it. Uh, I will be there Friday morning. We'll be live streaming the coaches' luncheon uh, uh, on, on Friday as well and other events happening on Friday and Saturday in partnership with Coca-Cola. So, uh, gentlemen, we look forward to it. Uh, and uh, let's have a great game. And I'm not, go I'm not even going to ask y'all who's going to win because uh, I take it y'all a, a, a wee bit biased. Right. We all win. We all win. There you go. But as Rick said, buy a ticket. <laughs> right. Buy That's a right. ticket. Hook up. Hook up. Yeah, That's right. right. Now, you can get the hookup by buying a ticket. By buying a right. ticket. There you, you go. You got it. You got it. Gentlemen, I appreciate All it. Right. Thanks a lot. Hey, thank you, Roland. Uh, thank you, Dr. Belton. Appreciate you, my brother. All right, Rick. Y'all take All care. Right. See you in New right. Orleans. Take care okay, now. thanks. All right, okay. folks. Uh, Meharry Medical College, they're blessing each student with $10,000 as a holiday gift. The historically black medical school in Nashville, Tennessee, is depositing the money in each student's bank account. School leaders say they hope the money will reduce any financial pressure caused by the COVID-19 pandemic and ensure well-being, academic stability, and success. The money was part of a higher education emergency relief fund from the CARES Act. I, I ain't never heard that one, Matt, where, where school dropped 10 grand in your bank account. Not only have I not heard it, I'm, I'm hoping Howard does the same for me as an <laughs> alum. I can use $10,000. I think that's a beautiful thing. I'm glad the students at Meharry are getting that opportunity. And I'm glad that the board saw it appropriate to help alleviate, you know, this time of crisis for them. So kudos to them. But, but HU, if y'all hear me, y'all know I'm ready for that. <laughs> uh, Lee, that is, that is what I call university leadership. I love it. I love it. I'm a Clark Atlanta University alum. So, you know, I love it. We uh, actually, our institution um, wiped out uh, all negative balances uh, for uh, current students as a part of the care funding, too. So I'm glad, Roland, that you are highlighting uh, our HBCUs. Y you know, you should have led off this show with this good stuff first, not all that tough stuff that we've been dealing with. But this is a good moment because it shows how uh, HBCUs are still needed, how we're still in, uh, pouring in and investing in the lives of, of our community and, and creating some phenomenal leaders uh, around the country. So, Mahari, uh, hats off to you. Uh, my daughter wants to go to medical school, so, you know, that's going to be, we're going to put that up on her wall right now. There you go. She's 12 years old. There you go. <laughs> All right, folks, hold tight one second. When we come back, uh, we're going to talk about uh, drama in Baltimore. Marilyn Mosby is hot blasting the governor of Maryland, saying he is constantly meddling in the affairs in Baltimore. Wait until I show you her news conference. We'll also hear from Jamie Harrison. Uh, who runs the Democratic National Committee, what is he going to do to ensure that they reach black voters and speak to the issues that we care about? You will hear him in my interview. Folks, you're watching Roller Martin Unfiltered right here on the Black Star Network. Once upon okay, a time, there was a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really... Who has time for that? Let's go. Feeling myself. I'm feeling she myself. ordered herself a ladder with Prime one day delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changed everything. Oh. 
That spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. Okay, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. Really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision. An SUV built around you. All of you. Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Nelson. Hi, this is Cheryl Lee Ralph, and you are watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, 17-year-old Kinesa Howard was last seen on November 11th, 2021 in D.C. She's 5 feet, 5 inches tall, weighs about 128 pounds with black hair and brown eyes. If you have any information regarding her whereabouts, please call the Metropolitan Police Department at 202-576-6768, 202-576-6768. Let's go to Miami, where a black man is suing the city of Miami and five police officers uh, for, uh, well, Misconduct. Samuel Scott Jr. was visiting his aunt when his vehicle dis disappeared. He reported it to authorities. Oh, officers Jonathan Guzman, Michael Bloom, Brandon Williams, Miguel Hernandez, and Randy Cariel arrived on the scene, and this happened. All right, listen. I'm going to reach you your rights real quick. All right? I can confirm where I was and I can even confirm my activities. I recently logged off of the VPN at my job. Okay. At what time? Roughly before I came over here, before I called you guys. But I'm telling you, you guys got the wrong guy. Okay. The description of the car, of the guy that took off from your car is just like yours. But that's half of Miami. Ball headed with a beard. Uh, even if he had dreads, it dreads with a beard. But then that's it's not fair. I mean, like like I said, my kids, I called because my car got stolen. My kids are over there. They don't even know what's so going on. So what time on. was your car stolen? I told you, probably around about five. I didn't pay attention to the time. I really just jumped out of the car to go see. That's it. If you want, like I said, we can go. Like, I had my kids and stuff like that. Dropped them off. Came over to, to say hi. And I went, I mean, I don't know what happened. I don't. I mean, like I said, I know the people that stay across there, over here, all over the place. I don't know what happened. My car just, somebody jumped in, drove off. And I'm sorry, but I'm telling you, I didn't, I didn't do it. I mean, literally, I, I mean, why would I call the police? <laughs> I mean, I called because my car is stolen. I mean, I, how me and my kids are going to get home? My pillow, my, my work ID, my work stuff, all of that stuff is in there. Why would I... That's why I'm like, what, what's, why am I in handcuffs? Uh, if I'm calling them and, and, and I'm... All right, just give me a second, okay? Right. I'm open the window so he's there behind there. I mean, also, I, I don't really know, or at least in my record, I've never been arrested. 
Okay. Um, Falden Pierre is the attorney for Samuel Scott. Uh, he joins us right now. I, I, I'm okay. I, I'm real confused. Yeah. The dude uh, whose car was stolen calls the cops to report his car was stolen, and they put him in handcuffs. Why? It. It sometimes. Real life is stranger than fiction. Uh, in this situation, it, it seems like there was an ambitious cop who essentially just wanted to pin the crime on someone. The only person that they had was a generic individual in Miami. And in this particular neighborhood, which is predominantly, predominantly black, um, could have been anyone. Um, as the complaint in the lawsuit states, essentially, they had to dig under his shirt to figure out if he even matched the person that they initially identified who was running away from the... Okay, but, okay, but here's, okay, here's the problem. Here's the problem. There's no car on the scene, right? Yep. So the person who called him, he's in handcuffs. So what logic would the person who stole the car be the same one to call the cops? Like, why was he put in handcuffs in the first place? And again, you, if we're going to go through logic, there is none. Uh, I mean, that's the whole um, gist of the lawsuit, is the fact that Mr. Um, Scott called for assistance but ended up becoming the victim, I mean, becoming the perpetrator when he was in fact the victim. So, I, uh, Mr. Martin, I wish I could explain what makes someone um, arrest the person who actually reports his vehicle stolen, but I can't. Okay, so <laughs> this is one of the things that, that sort of perplexes me that happens with with these cops all, all the time. They come on a scene, they see a black person, and they immediately slap cuffs on them to sort of detain them, and then it's like, well, we'll figure everything out later. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in this situation, they kind of did more than just figure it out. They actually made stuff up along the way. <laughs> and even though it was inconsistent with reality, but that was the whole fantasy. I mean, they not only said that he stole his own car. They said he was carrying a, um, he was um, basically in possession of a, uh, of a gun um, that was two miles away. They said he had possession of marijuana, which till this day, we still don't know where that came from. That's a fantasy in itself. So oftentimes when I do these cases, they, the police officers attempt to write down what has just recently occurred. And then they stick through it. I mean, they stick to the, the arrest affidavit up until the lawsuit. And even though it doesn't make any sense, and in this case, it didn't make sense at the beginning, but they usually have an ability to kind of like 
make make it make sense. But in this situation, as you've eloquently pointed out, you can't make this make sense. Okay, hold no on. one calls. Okay, that not 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 now. I'm real. So hold up. Yeah, car gets stolen, and they say a gun two miles away was used. Now they found a gun, but there's still no car, right? They they found the gun in the car that was stolen two miles away. Okay, hold up. So his car was stolen. Yeah. They find a gun in the stolen car, and they say that was your gun. Exactly. <laughs> Not realizing he reported it stolen. He reported his vehicle stolen. No, they knew they knew he reported it stolen. One of the things that they had they had Mr. Scott do was write an arrest. I mean, a a I, I forgot what it's called. It's a witness affidavit form or a statement basically saying, I'm reporting my vehicle stolen. So they knew he did that at the inception. Uh, but for whatever reason, that's what was the basis for the false reporting of a crime. Because they were saying, of course not. Your car wasn't stolen. You stole the vehicle. Matt, this is the kind of stuff that absolutely pisses black people off. Too often, Roland, <clears throat> the police start with the, the presumption of guilt when it comes to a black man, particularly a big black man. Big black men do not get the presumption of innocence. And that's the only reason this would make any sense, because it is wholly illogical that you would call the police and report your vehicle stolen, and then the police make contact with you and they take you into custody for the theft of your vehicle. It makes no sense. Um, but thankfully for Mr. Scott, he's got an attorney as skilled as Mr. Pierre. He and I are in a group uh, called the Civil Rights Collective, and he's a fantastic attorney, so I'm sure this will turn out the way it should. But it's a travesty that we have to even have this conversation, because it makes no sense whatsoever. Lee, I, I, I... And then people wonder why black folks are up in arms with these damn cops. Yeah, it's... Uh... You know, common sense isn't so common all the time, right? You know, the man called the police <laughs> because his car was stolen and you arrest him <laughs> and impede on his civil rights uh, for doing the thing he called them about. I mean, it's just, you know, it makes you laugh, but it's sad at the same time. And here's the other thing. In the article, uh, it, it didn't really state that in, in what you just showed, but to my understanding that the officer turned off his body cam more than once as a part of all this. Y'all, that's troubling. Like, that is really issues. I know many people uh, uh, get excited when they see that um, police officers have body cams because you feel like you can, um, it'll keep them in check and then you can know what happens in instances like these. But here's some things that we got to be concerned about, y'all. In many of these jurisdictions that have body cameras, the officers can manually turn them off and on. That ain't good. The officer should not be able to turn the body camera off and on. They need to have the uh, technology, and I know I'm getting a little technical, but they need to have the technology in any jurisdiction that has these body cameras where when they get out their car, it turns on. And when they get back in their car off the scene, it turns off. You shouldn't have the ability to turn off of uh, uh, your body camera because we saw what happened in, 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 in other jurisdictions where things have gone haywire and you don't see that. So um, 
my brother uh, representing this man, you know, keep keep the fight up, man. Just, you know, because they need to begin to right some wrongs, not just in this case. I pray that, you know, that he gets what is due for him, but also that y'all continue and see what y'all can do to uh, fix some of these laws that are just bad, you know, that impede on people's civil rights. Sheer madness. Sheer madness. Well, uh, certainly keep us updated on what happens uh, in this case. Uh, and and I hope your client gets as much money as he can. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And I do think Mr. Scott appreciates it as well. All right. Thank you so very much. All right, then. That's just, y'all, I, 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 I got no words. I, I, I just, and then people are like, oh, why y'all so upset? Mm, hello. Hello. And now... They do this, we get caught in the criminal justice system, got to hire a cop, got to hire a lawyer, got to go through all this sort of stuff. The stress and the drama, all those different things that go along with that, that's what black people have to deal with in a system. When they see someone black, they automatically think, uh-oh, they're the criminal. It happens all of the time. I saw a video a few weeks ago uh, where Cops roll up, a black guy had been attacked. Cops roll up, immediately go after the black dude, and the white woman starts yelling, what are y'all doing? He's the victim. All they thought was, oh, no, -uh, had to be the brother. That's how they rolled. All right, folks, let's go to Virginia, where a jury has awarded nine victims involved in the 2017 Charlottesville, Virginia, Unite the Rally, more than $26 million in damages. Twelve people and five white supremacists and nationalist organizations were defendants. The jury found that all the defendants violated a Virginia state conspiracy law. They also found that some defendants violated the state's law prohibiting a ra racial, religious, or ethnic harassment or violence. However, the jury could not determine whether the defendants conspired to commit racially motivated violence. Folks, that's some sad news. Malika Shabazz, one of the six daughters of slain civil rights leader Malcolm X, was found dead in her home in New York City last night. A police spokesman says 56-year-old Shabazz was found in a Brooklyn police, in a in her home in Brooklyn. Police say her death appears to be from natural causes. She and her twin sister Malak were the youngest daughters of Malcolm and Betty Shabazz. Her death comes days after two of the men who had been convicted of murdering uh, their father was exonerated. All right, folks, got to go to break. We come back. We'll hear from Jamie Harrison about the role that he has in trying, trying to revive the Democratic National Committee and to get them back on the winning track. We'll also hear from Marilyn Mosby, who is livid with the governor of Maryland, saying, you don't give a damn about Baltimore. Y'all, she was breathing heat. We'll show you that. We'll also talk with the sister in our Marketplace segment presented by Verizon, uh, who is trying to get black kids involved in STEM. She has a new product out. It's on sale in major stores. She launches today in Target. We'll talk to Aisha Bow right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. Once upon a time, there lived a princess with really long hair who was waiting for a prince to come save her. But really, who has time for that? Let's go. Fill myself. She ordered herself a ladder with Prime One Day Delivery, and she was out of there. Now, her hairdressing empire is killing it. And the prince, well, who cares? Prime changes everything. Maureen is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now she's free to become Maureen the Marrier. Food is her love language. And she really loves her grandson. 
like really loves. Hi, I'm Vivian Green. You're hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, unfiltered. All right, folks, midterm elections are next year, and Democrats are facing a tough road in terms of trying to retain the House as well as uh, build on the majority in the Senate. It's a major, major problem that they are facing, and the person who is going to be leading them in this effort is Jamie Harrison from South Carolina, who is the chair of the Democratic National Committee. Today, we have an opportunity to sit down and talk about a variety of issues, including what will Dems do to ensure that they are speaking to the issues and passing meaningful legislation that appeals to African Americans. Here's our conversation. All right, Jamie, I uh, want to get right to it. Uh, uh, wanna, lots of stuff I want to cover, and so let's, let's, let's dive headlong in, into this whole deal. When, when you look at what's happening right now in the country, it, it's really the tale of two stories. Uh, you have, on one hand, those who are claiming the country is going in the wrong direction. You look at the polling numbers of President Joe Biden, the polling numbers uh, of Vice President Kamala Harris. Uh, folks are talking about supply chain. They're talking about gas prices and inflation. Yet on the other hand, you have unemployment numbers that are down. You've had three consecutive months uh, of positive uh, job numbers. Actually, they've been adjusted upward uh, as well. You now see the Walmart CEO praising the administration uh, for uh, uh, you know, getting to the heart of the supply chain issues. It, how do you deal with these two different views? How do you deal with the messaging of what Democrats have done for the economy, whereas it's not catching or gaining a foothold with the public? Yeah. Well, Roland, listen, we're, we're in a complex time right now. We're uh, coming, still dealing with COVID in so many places. You know, you got the tale of two... Uh, two cities type scenario in some of these states. You got some states that have controlled COVID and some states who still haven't. And so you're seeing various, uh, you know, uh, worlds and, and atmospheres in various states. What's important is this, I think is uh, multiple steps that the Democratic Party has to take led by Joe Biden is to make sure that people understand what we have delivered for them thus far uh, what we are continuing to work on in order to deliver, and that we are not tone deaf to understand that there's still people in this country that are still going through things and they still need more help. And then it's also important, not just talking about us and what we control, control in the Democratic Party, but it's also equally important to paint the contrast. What is the other side actually doing if they're doing anything at all, which they aren't? You know, they're just voting no, they're trying to obstruct, they're trying to gum up the works. They're talking down the economy instead of trying to lift up the economy and the American people. So it's really, really important. And so we have taken some concrete steps in delivering for the American people, because I believe ultimately, as we go into 2022, the message has to be about Democrats delivering for folks. In the American Rescue Plan was the, our down payment on doing that. Now we passed a bipartisan infrastructure law. Next is the Build Back Better agenda. And, and, you know, the crown and glory and all of this stuff and something that we have to throw everything that we have into is making sure that we secure voting rights for all Americans. Those are the components that I believe that will, that will really give us the strength to go into 2022 uh, and uh, buck history uh, and, and win in these midterm elections. Um, 
one of the things that when we talk about um, the narrative and also uh, explaining these things, uh, David Axelrod tweeted this, and you know, look, I, I agree with him to some extent on uh, several things. He said, uh, D should stop referring to the BBB as huge, historic, and transformative, emphasizing instead how it is responsive to some of the everyday challenges people are facing, practical answers to real-life problems like the cost of childcare. No one's asking to be transformed. You know, one of the things that uh, Joe Madison always says is you got to put it where the goats can get it, uh, and that is walking people through. Uh, many people in uh, on the media side often uh, focus on the cost of the package as opposed to what's in the package. Uh, what is your plan to explain that, to break that down, to walk people through where it's no longer just 1.2 trillion, 1.2 trillion, 1.2 trillion, but literally, no, this is exactly what it is and how it's specifically going to help you in your state, in your city, in your neighborhood. Well, listen, Roland, one of the things that I think is really, really important is not for people just to hear me say that or to hear the president say that. It's actually to hear real people talk about the impact that these uh, laws have on their lives. And so one of the things that we're working on right now is the capturing of the stories uh, uh, from real Americans who've been impacted in a transformative way in terms of their own lives, how it's made it better for them you know, in terms of uh, putting food on the table, getting Christmas gifts for their, their families, all of these ways that, that has had a positive impact for them and their families and their communities. And it's those stories that have to be shared. Because in the end of the day, uh, another politician, another political person talking about, you know, things and this and that, uh, that isn't how you persuade people. When they see somebody that looks like them, somebody that comes from similar uh, background or communities, somebody that they can relate to, it's a much more powerful way to sell what we've been able to accomplish right now. So we're working on all of that, and that will be rolled out. One of the things I've been telling folks is uh, this isn't going to be a, a one- or two-week thing where you go up and you sell and say, hey, look at what we do. This has to be a six-, seven-, eight-month engagement uh, where we are breaking this thing up into, into pieces and making sure that we get the message out in all types of forms with all types of messengers so that depending on who you are, you find someone who you connect with and that you hear. I totally get that, but you also got to take credit. Uh, And the reality is Republicans are very good at taking credit. You even got some Republicans right now who voted against uh, the infrastructure bill who are literally lauding what's in it. how, and you we know, call them out on it every time. Well, and, and, I, and, I, and I, it's, look, that, that's absolutely important. But one of the things that also I think is important, and look, I said this to President Obama when they passed the Affordable Care Act. I also believe you got to take the fight to red states, to places where these people who are attacking this administration. Uh, and so my whole deal is, okay, you got that Alabama congressman uh, who's taking credit for it. You know what? That's where you actually go to that particular uh, city. You go to his district and you say, Democrats made this impossible and he voted against it. Uh, To me, you also take the fight and going to Mississippi, going to Alabama, going to Tennessee, Arkansas, going to these Southern states, going to Iowa, going to these places where they voted for Trump and didn't vote for Biden and say, this is how we made your life better. This is how we delivered. Uh, And so are there any plans to do that as well by going on the offense in the places uh, where the people who are fighting you the most? 
Well, we are already going on the offense in some of those areas, Roland. You, we have equipped all of our state parties with information specifically about how this impacts their communities. I'm also on a tour where I'm going to, by the, by the end of, at least by first part of December, we'll have hit all 50 states in terms of going on local TV in all of these states talking about this agenda and this law and the impact that it's going to have. We've done, I probably have done almost seven or eight uh, thus far, and we're going to do more uh, after the holidays where we're just hitting it everywhere. Um, and we're going to make sure that these people understand. We're also talking to our state parties about development of truth squads. So when these groundbreakings happen, uh, when the ribbon cuttings happen and all these other things and the Republicans try to come out and say, oh, yeah, this is such a good thing and I'm here to help cut the ribbon. Uh-uh-uh. You didn't help pay for this. You didn't help uh, uh, in the end. You didn't vote for it. So why should you take credit for it? That's going to be very important. We did not see that during uh, the, the recovery, the stimulus plan during the Obama years. But you will see this. Uh, when when we roll out all of these initiatives under Joe Biden, uh, will the president, will the vice president, go to these places? Because obviously, when they when they come, it it, ra it raises the stakes as well. Uh, because it's not to me, it's not just a matter of appealing to your core voters. Uh, it's also uh, saying to those people who are your biggest critics, um, you say we're not doing anything. This, 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 this. You mentioned that stimulus bill. The reality is Elkhart, Indiana, had a whole bunch of stuff that got rebuilt because of that. The Obama folks, frankly, didn't take enough credit. The president did go there when they announced it. Well, that's one of those things where, where again, taking credit. Look, Trump, for all of his craziness, and the Republicans, they took credit for a whole bunch of stuff, even for bills they never signed because they were, they were, they were just driving into the public's mind of what we accomplished, and they benefited from, frankly, lying. Well, and that's, I mean, you're spot on, Roland. One of the things that you will see in the course of the next few days, once we come out of the holidays, president, the vice president, and the cabinet members will all be crisscrossing uh, over the country. In addition, uh, many members of the House of Representatives on the Democratic side have already announced over a thousand town hall events or, or events to sell this agenda. So nobody's going to allow grass to grow under their feet uh, on this in terms of making sure that people are well aware of who delivered. Who delivered broadband to rural communities? Now, that's a big deal. It's a big deal. I live in a state where 38% of rural South Carolina doesn't have any access to broadband. And I know personally that, it, but for, you know, Jim Clyburn being insistent on this, uh, to make sure that we had broadband, and that's going to impact all across the country. But we got to sell it. We got to let people know who is responsible and who voted no. Those two things have to go together. And so uh, you, you're going to see so much activity with Democrats across the country over the next few months and weeks. Um, but you're also going to see uh, the juxtapose of signs and billboards and digital ads letting people know who actually voted against this legislation that uh, will impact their lives. The reality is, uh, and I hear this a lot, what have the Democrats done for African-Americans? The George Floyd Justice Act? Nothing happened there. Uh, when you talk about the voting bills, didn't happen there as well. And so what is going to be uh, the narrative? What are you going to say to African-Americans? Because I, I, I can tell you uh, every single day in our chat rooms when we're live, I hear it uh, on social media. I hear it when I travel 
all across this country, uh, that is going to be an issue. What is the signature issue that you're going to be able to tell African-Americans, this is what we delivered when you gave us control of the U.S. Senate, control of the U.S. House, control of the White House? Well, Roland, I think it's clear there, there's so much chop full in all of these bills that have a direct impact on the African-American community that were crafted in the thoughts of the African-American community. From resources that we have dedicated that have saved so many of our historically black colleges and universities, starting in the American Rescue Plan, and will continue on in this. Uh, what we are trying to do for our students, uh, particularly those who are attending HBCUs in terms of student loans, Pell Grants and all that coming back, in the Build Back Better agenda, when you look about the, uh, the impacts that disproportionately things that impact the African-American community, uh, like the clean water and those type of things, the environmental uh, injustices that take place in, the, in this country, a lot of provisions in some of these bills that are targeted specifically to those communities. I think about uh, the, the pre-K, the universal pre-K, those funds are primarily going to have a dramatic, disproportionate impact on uh, Black communities and, and Latino communities as well. Three- and four-year kindergarten, that's a big, big deal. The child care costs uh, that, uh, that families are going to be able to save. There's so much in these legislations, in these bills, that will have a disproportionate impact on the Black community specifically. Now, that is not to say that we still don't have a whole lot more to do. I mean, folks, we got to understand we're 10 months, 11 months into this uh, into this White House and this presidency. And we have already accomplished probably more than most president's uh, uh, presidential administrations in four years. But we still have a lot to do with the Justice Act. We still have a lot to do uh, with voting rights. And we all know why these things have not come to fruition. It is because of the United States Senate. It is because we still have to, instead of just getting 51 senators in order to pass something to get to the president's desk, you got to get 60. And that is the reality. Until we change that, that is going to have a hold on a lot of the things that we're trying to get done. And so uh, that's the reality of the situation. It ain't for lack of not trying, because we pass all of these things out of the House, but we're getting stuck in the Senate right now. And our hope is to find some way to navigate around this filibuster so that we can continue to get more things done and delivered for the American people, and specifically for black folks. Oh, that spin class was brutal. Well, you can try using the Buick's massaging seat. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Can I use Apple CarPlay to put some music on? Sure. It's wireless. Pick something we all like. OK, hold on. What's your Buick's Wi-Fi password? Buick Envision 2021. Oh, you should pick something stronger that's really predictable. That's a really tight spot. Don't worry. I used to hate parallel parking. Me too. Hey. You really outdid yourself. Yes, we did. The all-new Buick Envision, an SUV built around you, all of you. Betty is saving big holiday shopping at Amazon. So now, she's free to become Bear Hug Betty. Settle in, kids. You'll be there a while. Ooh, where are you going? Hi, I'm Eric Nolan. I'm Shantae Moore. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. I keep getting back is, that's all great and well, but you got to get it done. Are you not concerned that by not being able to have what some are defining as a signature piece of legislation that specifically uh, benefits African-Americans, overwhelmingly benefits African-Americans, hey, you're not going to have 
um, black enthusiasm next year. That is of great concern. You've got Senate races uh, happening in Florida, where you've got Congresswoman uh, Val Demings, who's running. You've got Senate race in North Carolina, in, um, in, in uh, Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Ohio. That's five Senate races right there that are going to be critical. Uh, that has to be of concern uh, that you're not going to have an enthusiastic black turnout. Uh, you've, got, you've got black activists who are saying that, look, we're on the ground, and it's going to be hard for us to get people hyped and excited about the election. Well, Roland, I've been on the ground, too. You know, I've been all over this country right now, and I talk to folks all the time uh, back home here in South Carolina, average, average, everyday, hardworking black folks who are just you know, trying to make ends meet. And I can tell you, people are excited if they, they're getting an increase in the earned income tax credit. They're excited if, you know, just take the, the one provision in the Build Back Better alone, just the child care provision, where it's going to cap child care costs at 7%. If you've got a mom, a single mom who is making $36,000 a year, spending $1,000 a month on child care, that's a third of her income that goes to child care. That will be capped in this bill. So not she's not paying $12,000 a year, but she's paying $2,000 a year. That's going to be a big deal for a lot of families in this country. And the only reason why it happened, the only reason why it happened is because people went out to vote last November. Now, just as quickly as it happened is just as quickly as it can disappear. We need to understand what is the contrast on the other side that we are building and trying to deliver each and every day. Are we going to get everything that we want right now? Probably not. Just doesn't happen that way. Doesn't happen that way in life. But are we going to work like hell in order to try to do as best we can for folks, given the situation right now where we're in a 50-50 Senate? Um, yes, we're going to try to wring every little thing that we can out of this so that we can deliver, so that people see that this is the positive step forward. We increase our Senate majority, then we can deliver even more for them and their families in the community. We reduce that majority, and then, you know, we got to deal with the Republicans on the other side, trying to take back and claw back all of the gains that we've made over the past year. One of the other criticisms that Democrats have routinely taken African-Americans for granted, uh, not providing the resources uh, to to uh, reach those communities. Uh, the DCCC uh, announced uh, today they're going to be spending uh, $30 million uh, targeting communities of color. Uh, what, I'm, what, what I'm getting from people is, okay, that's communities of color. Uh, what specifically is that going to go to African-Americans? And what is that going to go to? Is it going to be organizations? Is it going to be on the ground? What's going to go to black-owned media? Uh, and so when we talk about this initiative, now that's DCCC. You yeah, also yeah. Have, you have you have numerous other groups. you got the DNC. First of all, the DNC is separate from the DCCC. you got the DSCC, which focuses on the Senate races. The DCCC is for congressional races. you got the Democratic Governors Association. You have these other groups out here, these other uh, PACs. And so what is so how are you as a democratic chair pulling all of these different forces together saying hey we need to have a real massive targeted effort and spin to targeting people of color specifically african americans to drive them to get out to vote well roland i meet with the the heads of all of those organizations again i only control the dnc but i meet with the heads of all of the other sister committees uh, on a monthly basis, just actually had a, a two meetings, set of meetings uh, the other day with some of them. And I know to a group, all of them understand that we sink or swim based on uh, what happens in terms of uh, communities of color and specifically in the African-American community. 
And so I know a lot of them are investing earlier in terms of organizing on the ground. We are building out uh, on at the DNC also our efforts in doing that. All of them recognize that uh, you know, historically, uh, the Democratic Party has not done what it needs to do as it relates to investing in these communities, investing in the businesses in those communities. Uh, we just held a minority uh, diversity symposium uh, this earlier this fall where all I got all of the sister committees together in order to co-sponsor this to increase the number of minority vendors dramatically that we have in our system. So uh, we are on the ground right now. I announced the, one of the first initiatives I announced was a $20 million investment in building out boots on the ground to build our infrastructure across our battleground states. And that's where we're going into these communities, picking black and brown folks, AAPI, Native American folks, training them, and then putting them back into their communities in order to organize. And so it's a very uh, in, uh, uh, heavy, intensive uh, uh, program because we understand you can't parachute people in. You got to build up the capacity in the communities. We're going to have micro grant programs like we did last cycle, but we're increasing those so that we're investing in the, uh, you know, the grandmas and the aunts who have their little uh, community organizing efforts that we know, like Aunt Sally in this community, she's the one who gets out the vote. Well, she needs some grant money in order to do that. So we're going to have all of these initiatives that we're rolling out. We're starting now, but we're also rolling them out at the beginning of the year. So we're starting much earlier, but understanding that we have to invest in the communities that invest so much in us. Uh, there have been a couple of stories talking about issues that have taken place within the DNC uh, where you've not been able to do what you want to do. Uh, I've, I've seen those stories. I've talked to other people as well who've expressed uh, frustration. Um, uh, you know, are you getting the support uh, that you need and are you making it perfectly clear that you need to have the flexibility and the freedom, the leeway to run the DNC as you see fit? Uh, as opposed to uh, having uh, others, uh, some who may be in the White House and other places, sort of dictating uh, who you have on your leadership team and who you are uh, working with. Well, listen, Roland, you know how all these stories go. In the end of the day, the people back home don't care anything about who I'm working with, how I'm working with them, whatever. They just want to know whether or not we're delivering for them. And so uh, a lot of that stuff is a bunch of hyperbole and, and, and noise. I got to focus on making sure that we build the strongest DNC possible so that we can reach out to our voters, so that we can register folks. For the first time in almost 20 some odd years, the DNC is actually back in the voter registration game. We're putting boots on the ground right now. I wanna make sure that the DNC is also reflective of the diversity of our party. Uh, I've created a, a diversity, equity, inclusion, and she's also my counsel. Uh, we're making major strides in making sure that this party looks like the folks uh, and invest in the folks who invest in, in us. So uh, that's my focus right now. I, you know, I don't have time for all of the, the, the gossip in D.C. because people don't have anything else to do with, with, with their time. We talked earlier about uh, the, how important those voting bills are. We are seeing Republicans all across the state passing bills, gerrymandering districts, making it hard to vote as well. Um, what is it going to take uh, for you and others to convince uh, your Democratic senators, especially Arizona Senator Christian Sinema and Joe Manchin, that if no action is taking, the entire party is screwed next year? 
I mean, yeah. one of those bills gets, gets rid of partisan gerrymandering. The Supreme Court ruled, hey, they don't get involved in that. They leave it up to the states. But when you've already had partisan gerrymandering on the state level, then Republicans control a significant number of these state Supreme Courts. And so the reality is this. Um, unless they do something about the filibuster to pass these voting bills, the reality is they may, the Republicans could very well easily take over the House without any competition whatsoever, because they will gerrymander their way into controlling majority of the seats. We're already seeing it in Texas, in Georgia, in Pennsylvania. Uh, we're seeing it in numerous states. Well, Roland, you know, I, I know some of our senators are, are, want to bring civility back to Washington, D.C. Well, the one way that we bring civility back is in partisan gerrymandering. That's how you bring it back. Well, also, uh, indecibility also means that when you're in power, you use it because you know what? If you're the Democrats, you're going to be in the minority come 2023 if these things go through. And we're down to the wire because there's also a window here, as you well know. Yep, yep. If, you don't, if you don't pass these bills, the courts may say, sorry, too late. The primaries have already started. Well, and that's a, that's a political uh, issue that we are facing right now. And it's important. You know, I talked with uh, Kirsten Cinema just briefly um, at the White House signing on the infrastructure bill. It's important that we do all that we can to find a way around this. And it's just not uh, the, you know, the. Does the she get it? Does that, she get it? Well, I, 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 she heard me. And so we'll continue to have the conversations. I know that a number of folks at the White House and in the Senate and in the House are also having conversations. But this is, this is what folks need to understand. That this isn't just about whether or not Democrats win or Republicans lose or vice versa. This ultimately is about our democracy, about who we are going to be. And in the end of the day, our right to vote is the most sacred right that we have as Americans. I call it the great equalizer because it's the same. What, Jeff Bezos has a vote and the guy who cleans up one of the factories has a vote or one of the store warehouses. And it's the same vote. And that is the thing that makes this place so special, is that we all have that same right, regardless your background and how much money you have. And if folks want to save democracy, they want to bring civility back, we got to get this John Lewis Voting Rights Act. we got to get the other uh, voting rights bills on the floor, voted, and to the president's desk. He's ready to sign it. We just need the Senate to act. Um, I, we've talked about in terms of what you're doing internally with the DNC when it comes to vendors. One of the issues that we have raised also, what happens in the federal government, I can tell you specifically what we have been raising with the White House from the beginning, dealing with black-owned media contracts. Uh, he, the president put uh, Susan Rice, a part of her a portfolio, is dealing with the issue of race equity as well. Uh, I, I can tell you, Jamie, when it came to the spending of COVID dollars, Black-owned media basically saw nothing. Uh, there was a study that was done three years ago that was uh, initiated by Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton uh, that showed that the federal government spent over five years $1 billion in advertising. Black-owned media got $51 million. This is one of those issues that African-Americans, not just those of us in Black-owned media, but in other areas as well. We just so we saw this massive bill 
uh, just passed. The question I asked every cabinet secretary, how are you going to ensure that black-owned companies uh, are able to get a piece of that, those deals, be able to get those contracts? Uh, what are you saying to the White House, but also Democrats in the House and the Senate, to say, y'all got to make sure that black people who are the backbone of the Democratic Party, who drive the party, who you want votes, are participating in the economic resurgence and revival, especially when we saw 41% of Black-owned businesses go out of business during COVID. Yeah. Well, Roland, you know, I talked about this throughout COVID, the, the pain that a, a Black business has got. Uh, the pain that many of them couldn't even get the PPP loans early on in the initial uh, in the initial rollout, the PPP loans, because they didn't have relationships with some of the traditional banks. Uh, and so we have to understand, and I've had conversations with, with folks in the administration, and I know that members of the Congressional Black Caucus and the, the Tri-Caucus in general have had discussions about making sure uh, that all folks, particularly communities of color, get their fair share uh, of the proceeds that come out of this. That's really, really important. It is something that I'm doing in terms of what I can control at the DNC, uh, making sure that our vendors, I mean, we are examining across the board at the DNC every contract that we have to make sure that we are working to make sure that the communities that support us uh, are also benefiting from the, 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 the expenditures that we have as an organization. That also has to happen in the federal government. And so, um, you know, I will continue to make sure to speak that all of the members of the White House and the administration to push on that because it's just it, it's the only right thing to do and we have to do. Uh, and I would have just one more request, and that is when you talk about uh, the various groups, yes, you only control the DNC. I think it would behoove um, uh, Democrats, uh, and I would love if, um, if if you could call this meeting. It would be great if all these Democratic constituencies, like I say, DNC, DCCC, DSCC, Democratic Governance Association, uh, if there was a meeting with those folks where they met with our coalition of uh, Black-owned media uh, to ensure uh, that resources are going to Black-owned media in the 2022 campaign season, uh, because I can tell you with my experience uh, in 2020, uh, it is very difficult for a lot of our Black-owned media entities to be able to uh, access the dollars. These, these, let me just be very, very honest with you, these white ad agencies who control the money externally, they control the these campaigns, they screw us over, they ignore us, they throw they throw us not even pennies, it's more like half a penny. And so I think it would be great if there was a meeting in January uh, where all these Let's people were in going. the room. So uh, you, you, you let me know. I'll bring the Black-owned media people, uh, you bring the other people, and let's make it happen. Good. Let's make it happen. You got my commitment. We'll get this done. All right. First of the year. All right. Jamie Harrison, I appreciate it. Thanks a bunch. Uh, have Thank a happy Thanksgiving. Welcome. You too, my friend. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Let's go to our panel. Lee, your thoughts on what you heard from Jamie Harrison? Man, uh, unfortunately, I'm a Democrat. So let me, let me say that first. But it really just shows, man, that they really don't get it. We don't get it. Let me just include myself uh, in terms of communicating with your constituency. Let's be real clear. Black folks showed up at the voting polls, at the ballot box. We showed up, and we have been consistently 
um, uh, consistent uh, supporters of the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party's agenda, et cetera. What the Democrats, I think one of the reasons why they don't really resonate with, with black folk right now, and I'm a part of a very large coalition of black pastors here in Georgia and around the country as well, and there is general consensus that um, that no, the, the White House, the president, the Democratic Party is really not coming through where we're concerned. And it's primarily because there's this, there's this um, thought of uh, the rising tide lifts all boats, which is absolutely true, right? You know, when everybody's doing good, everybody's doing good. Black folk are doing good. But the challenge is this, very rarely do we see distinctive legislation that is targeted at us Black folk, which we say are of the highest priority, a voting legislation, the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, the Freedom to Vote Act, the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, funding even in this infrastructure bill for HBCU started off at, what, $45 no, no, billion? No, 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 that's not true. No, what, no, what, what no. that story is absolutely false. We have debunked that story uh, left and right. It, de it did not start off at $45 billion. That was an erroneous story done by the Associated okay. Press and done by Newsweek. We walked through the entire deal. Uh, and so there has been a dramatic increase over the last 18 months to HBCUs. And in fact, if you look at per, if you look at per pupil, the amount of money that HBCUs have gotten, they have gotten in terms of, on average, uh, $25,000. In fact, some of these schools, some of these schools have actually gotten more money from the federal government in the last 18 months than their own states have given. Tennessee State, for example, has gotten more money from the federal government than the state of Tennessee has funded that state school. So that story is false. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. And, 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 and I, I'm wrong on that, okay? I'll, I'll give you that. You're the media. I'll give you that. But what I'm saying, my point is still there. It's, it's still very clear that the, 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 the feeling that we are getting more than talk is, 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 is just challenging for me. Yeah, they, they know how to say the right things, right? But when it comes down to really putting um, their, their capital forward, their political capital forward, we're just not saying it. And so it, it sounds good. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I, I believe, generally speaking, uh, the administration is doing good. The Build Back Better, what's in that? The infrastructure bill, the America Rescue Plan, people are benefiting in very tough times there. So I will give you that, but I'm speaking specifically where African-Americans are concerned, and I'm Matt? still really... I didn't get to hear all of Brother Harrison's comments, but I'll say I think a lot of times we see the same cycle of leveraging loyalty and then a letdown on the back end, and the letdown always comes alongside, uh, you know, reasons that we're supposed to accept that Black people are getting the short end of the stick. And again, I don't want to speak unintelligently. I had to step away for part of his comments, but I know as a lifelong Democrat, especially a Democrat in Texas, that's kind of what I always uh, expect. I expect that the rhetoric is far going to outsee the results. And I would hope that, um, you know, going forward, we see better results with the legislation that's passed and with what measurable effects we see in the lives of black people. All right, uh, folks, hold tight one second. Got to go to break. We come back. We're going to talk about uh, our marketplace segment brought to you by Verizon. We'll talk to an entrepreneur uh, who is focused on getting young folks coding. That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network.
Alexa, play our favorite song again. Okay. I only Hey, I'm Donnie Simpson. What's up? I'm Lance Gross, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. A lot of folks think coding is hard. Well, my next guest says, not really. It's all a matter of how you reach the folks who don't know. Uh, she has created this at-home coding kit called Lingo, which allows for uh, your child to see what professionals are doing while moving at their own pace. Aisha Bose, a former NASA rocket scientist who created Lingo, uh, and she joins me now from Washington, D.C. Uh, Aisha, glad to have you back on the show. Hey, hi, Roland. So big day for you because uh, Lingo dropped, what, uh, in Target? Yeah, as of today, we launched on Target and we're available on Walmart and Amazon. So explain, so what, what really is Lingo? What, what is it, what does it do? Lingo is a self-paced coding kit that teaches kids the fundamentals of computer science at home. And as an added bonus, it features culturally relevant role models because Roland, I went through my entire education without ever being taught by a black woman once. And so that's a central focus of Lingo. We wanna expose students to computer science in a way that's not boring, not boring for a change, and to get them excited about a potential career by applying their knowledge to something they see every day. The backup noise you hear in a car. So when you talk, so we talk about uh, that, you say, you know, as you go, so how long is it? So let, let's just say um, you get the kit and how long will a child be ready to code? And we say code, what does that even mean? What are they, what are they actually doing? So the Lingo kit includes self-paced online videos, which means that it doesn't require a parent in order for the student to complete the activities. So we hope that parents can actually maybe get some downtime, right? Go do something fun. Once the kit is open, what the students will do is learn the basics of how to put together code. This is exposure, Roland. So instead of asking you to just open the kit and magically know all of these things, we ask you to read the instructions, follow the videos as Danielle Regis, our product lead here at Lingo, instructs you through how to put together the exercise. In total, the activity takes about four hours and can be completed over the course of several days. And so, so we, um, again, we talk about coding. You and I were talking the other day and how you were talking to some students in St. Louis and you had them coding music. Yeah, because everything that you hear is actually um, electronics. And so what I wanted to do was find a way to tie this concept to something that the students cared about. And they cared about music. 
With this lingo kit, the first lesson teaches you how to put together that sensor for a car, but that same principle you can use to code your own music. And so once we finish the first activity and the second activity is available on our learning portal now, we actually said, hey, well, now that you know how to do this, why don't you load up your favorite song? The kids are playing everything from Megan Thee Stallion to DaBaby and BTS within a matter of three days. And they were hooked. They've now gone on and further explored the music lesson. Some of them have even loaded their own music into the boards and are looking at how they can maybe become sound engineers. All right, then. Questions from my panel. Matt, I'll start with you. So the question I have for you, Ms. Bowie, is um, what do you find is the, the greatest impediment to access? Is it that people don't know how accessible coding can actually be and doable it can be? Or is it something else? Is it other institutional factors? Well, for me, the greatest impediment was not knowing anything about the field. I started my degrees in aerospace engineering with pre-algebra in a community college. I didn't see any people who looked like me who were in the field, and I did not know that engineering was something that I could do, make a living at, and actually enjoy. And then when I went into the field, I didn't see the people around me actively recruiting people of color. And I just, I had enough. I left the government in order to create this company because I wanted people of color to have this experience. I wanted students to go into a classroom and see somebody that looked like them. I wanted for them to get a box and have other people around them who may not be persons of color see somebody who looked like them teach the class and have them realize that we exist in these fields too. And oh, by the way, the same techniques and tools that you learn in this box are the same ones that can make sure that you get paid for the rest of your life. I've seen studies that show that on average, it takes about 100 hours of exposure to coding or engineering concepts before you become an engineer. Well, guess what? There are a lot of students who are getting that in middle school. They're getting that in high school. Well, why can't our students have the same? And now with Lingo, you get that in a box. You get not only the first lesson, but you can learn music and our third lesson ties sports and STEM together, which means now you're coding things that can help make you a better athlete or even understand how technology integrates with sports. So I got some fool on YouTube named Mississippi who said uh, black American people don't give a damn about coding. Can you explain why that's stupid to even say that? Mississippi. I, you know, I, listen, I would beg to differ. First of all, it's no surprise. First of all, the person, is, the, the handle is Mississippi. So, I mean, <laughs> when you look at the education ranking of Mississippi, that, that says a whole lot. But go, Aisha, go ahead. Listen, I'm going to go ahead and beg to differ because I just got done teaching a class of eighth graders out in East St. Louis, and every single one of them walked away not only doing this kit, but wanting to learn more. I don't think it's that black people don't care about coding. I think it's that the subject hasn't been taught to them in a way that was interesting. It took me until I was an adult to actually learn these things in a way that I thought was fun. And I just refuse for any more people to have that experience. So get a lingo, explore Mississippi, and I think you'll find that not only do people care, but maybe you'll care too. Lee. Look, I love this, Aisha. I love uh, the vision. I love your heart for people. I'm a pastor, and uh, y'all know in, in the Bible it says, train up a child 
in the way that they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Uh, one of our challenges in all of this stuff in educating our children and training up our children uh, isn't always the kids. Very rarely is the kids. It's the parents. How can you, like what you're doing, I'm sure you've thought it out because you, you already sound brilliant. Um, how can we really uh, almost like train the parent, you know, to be able to train the child and get them connected so that they can get their uh, kids interested in, in something like this? Yeah, so that was one of the first things that we tackled when we created the box because my team of engineers, most of whom are black, did not have parents that could help us with the homework. So that was the first thing. We wanted to make sure that this allowed for us to teach our students. So we don't actually need the parents to finish these activities. The next piece is exposure. We have over 30 upward bound programs that are clients of Lingo. We are used by over 4,000 students in America right now in six countries internationally because we don't require the parents to invest in Lingo. And this is why when I was talking to Roland, I'm like, hey, look, I, I need you. I need your help because I am the only black woman making educational product for middle school, high school, and university students right now that is sold in major retailers. And the majority of the people who we need to get this kit are, are upward bound students. There are students who are in Mississippi, they're in Alabama, they're in Georgia, who by getting this kit, maybe they could do something a little bit different. And I'm not talking about going to college. I'm talking about learning something where you can make money at home. Because guess what? All those big tech companies, the Googles, the Twitters, the Facebooks, they didn't require that their employees have to even have a computer science degree. They just have to know how to code. So I refuse to allow us to get left out. I refuse to allow us to be in an environment where we don't see us anymore when we're, education, when we're engaging in these activities. And all I require is for the institutions the organizations like the Bowie States, the Fayetteville States, who are working with us, the Southern Universities, who are working with us to push these kits into the hands of their students to work with us and to help. All right, then. Uh, again, uh, tell folks where they can get lingo. People are going to be, of course, uh, they're going to be looking for uh, Christmas gifts and birthday gifts. And so let them know. Well, you can get lingo on Target by typing in STEM Lingo Coding Kit, Walmart STEM Lingo Coding Kit as well, and also the same keywords on Amazon. If you'd like to get it directly from us, you can go to www.stemlingo.com in the bottom or hit me up on IG at Aisha Bo. All right, Aisha, we appreciate it, thanks a lot. Thanks, Roland. All right then, all right folks, uh, we're gonna end, first of all, let me thank uh, Lee uh, and uh, uh, first of all, let me thank y'all, first of all, uh, for being with the panel. Uh, it was a great conversation uh, that we had. Uh, and so uh, I think uh, Lee might be trying to go to law school now, uh, Manning. So uh, he might he might just want to, you know, hit you up. On that Roland Martin scholarship. Yeah, yeah, he want to do that. So I want to thank both of y'all. But I'm going to do this here, y'all. I, I said I was going to play for y'all the news conference, but Marilyn Mosby, she was hot today with uh, the governor of uh, Maryland. I was going to play some of that for y'all so you can so you can see the steam that was coming out of her ears. So Governor Larry Hogan, he has been attacking her for the last several years, saying that she wasn't doing enough to end violent crime in Baltimore, even telling the Democratic Attorney General to take over cases in her jurisdiction. Well, he did it again today, and she's like, you know what? I got some words for you, Governor. Check this out.
this governor. For the past seven years, just like Donald Trump, Larry Hogan has used Baltimore City as a punching bag. He's attacked me, he's attacked all four mayors, he's attacked all five commissioners, police commissioners. And quite candidly, he's been more concerned with pointing the finger at everyone else as opposed to actually leading and delivering for a city that is the heartbeat of this state. Just as he's done in the past, today's press conference was a political stunt with no basis whatsoever to call me or my office out. I want to be clear that as state's attorney for Baltimore City, I've never said that I would not prosecute violent offenders or violent crime in the city of Baltimore. Every day, my talented prosecutors, which are being recruited by others, including the Attorney General and other counties all across the state, are committed to working with the Baltimore Police Department to ensure accountability against individuals that wreak havoc in our communities. Had the governor set aside his philosophical differences and chosen to meet or even to talk to me, I would have been happy to show him the data that he's now making contingent on my office's funding. In fact, a great deal of the information that the governor is seeking is already published on my website. We went through this same unproductive exchange and exercise two years ago when my office debunked the misinformation that the governor was perpetuating in our letter to the Senate President, Senate President Ferguson. And now coming out of a global pandemic where the courts have literally been non-operational for a year and a half, in the past six months, my prosecutors are diligently working through the massive case backlogs, and yet they are still producing. To date, our data, which we publish every month on our website, since the reopening of the courts just this year, my office has had an overall 97% conviction rate. Our homicide unit, we have had 18 guilties, only three not guilties. That's an 86% conviction rate. Our felony division, 187 guilties, eight not guilties. That's a 96% felony conviction rate. Our gun violence enforcement division, 136 guilties, seven not guilties, 95% conviction rate. Our narcotics unit, 375 guilties, three not guilties, 99% conviction rate. My attorneys, since the beginning of this year, have indicted over 123 homicides, 591 felonies. Our gun violence enforcement division, when we talk about getting guns off the streets of Baltimore, they have had 335 indictments. Our narcotics unit has had 866 indictments. I tell you this today because I stand by the work of my office. I'll provide the governor anything he desires because I know how much my prosecutors do for this city. Just this week, James Phillips was found guilty of two counts of assault in the first degree, two counts of use of a firearm in the commission of a crime of violence and associated charges. He was sentenced to 35 years in prison following his August 19th conviction. Phillips shot and struck two brothers on Bel Air Road outside of the deli after an altercation occurred inside the store. Just yesterday, Ward Austin, 46 years old, pled guilty to second-degree rape of a 14-year-old girl and was sentenced to 20 years to spend over 12 years and five years probation. Austin 
followed the teen from a train station near Mondawmin to her bus, got off at her bus stop to pull her into an alley and to rape her. My prosecutors work every single day. And for the governor to come out today and say that my prosecutors, they don't do their jobs, that they don't prosecute violent criminals, that they don't sweat blood and tears for the safety of everyone in this city is a disgraceful lie. My prosecutors take violent crime seriously, and so do I. Uh, you got the sense that uh, she's a little pissed with the governor? Understatement. She is razor sharp. And what we see is we see Hogan playing politics. There was actually a commission called the Criminal Justice uh, Coordinating Council that was in place until 2017 when Hogan defunded it that was intended to, uh, you know, serve this exact purpose, to curb uh, crime in the city of Baltimore. So it's about performative politics. It's not about anything else but trying to knock Marilyn Mosby down. And we know that he ain't going to do that because she's strong as they come. Uh, I heard a lot of receipts there, Lee. Ooh, boy, was she... Ooh, and that was... Look, that was boiling. That, that, that had been simmering for a while, and then that thing boiled over. I know Marilyn, and you don't, don't play with her. Don't don't play with her. And what I loved about it is she she came back. She was intent. She was passionate, but she came back with facts. She's talking about her close rates and 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 the number of cases and and all of that. I, I love it, you know. And and you know when we when you're dealing with the law, I'm telling you, man, get let the politics go, man. Let's just deal with justice. And we know, unfortunately, too often times justice is not the leading factor. And so much of this is, is racially motivated, it's politically motivated, and things like that. But go on, Sister Mosby. I, I appreciate your passion. Uh, indeed. All right. All right, folks. So we out of time, but here's the deal. We're going to restream her whole news conference. And so for y'all, if y'all want to see the whole deal, I mean, she was on fire. And so we're going to restream the entire news conference right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered and the Black Star Network. Again, Matt and Lee, I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Hey, folks, tomorrow we do not have a Roland Martin Unfiltered, but I got a, I got a treat for you. Uh, we're launching, of course, you all know, with the Black Star Network, we're launching multiple shows, okay? Uh, and so tomorrow we're going to premiere Rolling with Roland, my one-hour uh, interview show where we're talking to uh, all kinds of different fascinating people. We're going to launch it with Johnny Gill. A lot of y'all saw a new edition at the, at the American Music Awards. And so uh, this is just a sneak peek. The question I asked him was, did y'all ever ha have somebody who insisted on closing the show and making y'all go on in front of them? He said, yeah, Brian McKnight did that and it didn't end so well. This is what Johnny Gill had to say. I'm about to give you something yeah. that's gonna put you in that, you gonna remember this. Yeah, I was on tour. So Brian wanted to be the headliner. Now, you're headliner with New Edition. So we're like, okay, you wanna be the headliner? Not a problem. Listen, since you so, think you big, that big and bad, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'll never forget one night, we, uh, two of the guys, their driver got lost. I think it was Westbury we were playing. And I'll never forget, um, we asked, they asked him if he didn't mind going on first and uh, we, we would close out. And he, they came back and said, he said, no. I'll give him his prop. He took it like a man. <laughs> <laughs> it was rough out there. By the time he would come out, you could hear echoes. <laughs> wow. And, Y'all, again, uh, Rolling with Roland, powered by Verizon. Uh, that is going to air tomorrow, tomorrow, right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered um, in this time slot. 
Uh, Y'all, it's a fascinating conversation. And wait until you the end of it where Johnny talks about two things that he always wanted to do in his career he has not yet done. Yeah, I, I hooked him up with something. Y'all got to watch the interview. It's, you're going to love it. I'm telling you. Uh, and so you're going to absolutely love it. All right, we're going to end the show with this here. Uh, I saw this today on social media, and I said I got to do it. So Jennifer Hudson uh, posted uh, this video. She said she was walking. I don't know whether she was in California or Hawaii somewhere. She was walking on the beach, and she stopped, and this guy was playing a guitar. She said it was this beautiful music. But then he announced that the last song he was going to play was the song Hallelujah. Jennifer Hudson said that's one of her favorites. And so here you have the street musician who all of a sudden got to play and sing with Oscar NAACP Image Award winner Jennifer Hudson. Watch. That is great there. You hear Jennifer Hudson uh, in the video. She, she talked about how she said, I, I heard this music, and she was like, I just had, I just had to stop. So uh, great video there, folks. Certainly hope you guys enjoy Thanksgiving, spending time with the family. I'm headed to Houston tomorrow. And again, fr- m- Friday, we're going to see you in New Orleans at the Bayou Classic. Simply uh, set your notifications on the Black Star Network and YouTube. So when we go live, if you don't know we're going to go live, absolutely do it. And don't forget, have time. Tell everybody. Tell everybody, don't worry about them not showing a halftime show on television. We're going to stream the entire halftime show between Grambling State and Southern right here on the Black Star Network. You don't want to miss that. So download the app, folks, all the platforms, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox Smart TV. Download it all. Tell everybody this is how we do it and also please support us in what we do uh because look it costs to go down there uh and so you know, when you jump when you join our bring the funk fan club your resources go to make all this possible uh cash app dollar sign rm unfiltered paypal is uh forward slash r martin unfiltered venmo is rm unfiltered zale is rolling at rollingsmartin.com rolling at rollingmartinunfiltered.com and uh, we are almost done with uh our studio folks i mean we're almost done i'm telling you almost done uh, and so, uh, do this here. Hey, Henry, give me a wide shot. Give me a wide shot. Zoom it all out. 
Uh, and so y'all see uh, what we've done, of course, with our screen. We added uh, some columns here uh, we, with, with some awards and stuff along those lines. Uh, you see the Colin Kaepernick piece. Pan it left. Uh, you see this. We were in Chicago. We saw that great mural. Uh, and so we added this, this huge mural called Love. And so we added that mural uh, to the show as well. It goes great with the art pieces here of Leroy Campbell. And you see the little corner of the green screen. Uh, so no, pan back, pan back. That green screen is a black-owned drape company. Remember we had them do the Marketplace segment? Well, they hooked us up and built that. So I can't wait to show y'all the rest, y'all. It's gonna blow you away when y'all see the rest of the studio. It is absolutely phenomenal, so I can't wait. Enjoy the Thanksgiving holiday, folks. I'll see y'all again Friday, back in studio, Monday, Roland Martin Unfiltered. I'm looking forward to seeing all my alphas in New Orleans and the family as well. Y'all know how we do it. Where are you? From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe ventilation system exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe ventilation system. You can get it installed, or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today.